Hello, I'm Gregor Holleran. I'm host of the Story Shop podcast. Today I speak to Melanie Russell, who's the founder of Outside In Garden Rooms. Outside In is a garden room business, funnily enough, and has rocketed during the pandemic as more and more people look to expand their space outdoors. I speak to her about her journey starting the business and her previous life owning a marketing agency. Hi Mel. Hello <laughs> So I'm here to hear your story and the story of Outside In. So do you want to start right at the very beginning of how you thought about Outside In and how the kind of concept came to life? Sure. Um, okay, well I'd, I'd previously co-owned a digital agency. And it was moving in a direction I just wasn't comfortable with. So I, I left, my business partner bought me out. And I took a year to assess what I was going to do. I um, did a few bits and bobs here and there, helped a friend who was a, an author. And essentially, I was looking for a challenge, a job of my own. that work, I do a lot of work in construction and I was involved in a couple of big property development projects. And I love gardening. So I explored how I could potentially maybe look at being a landscape gardener or doing something outdoors with gardening. However, a friend came to me with the suggestion of a garden room type business. Um, a friend of his had just built a very, very functional structure in his garden that suddenly it gave him additional space for his teenage daughters. They needed a wee bit more space to hang out with their friends and he had built a very, very functional garden hut, if you like, at the bottom of his garden that suddenly... The girls had exactly that. They had more space to hang out in. So did a load of research, looked at the competition up in Scotland and established that, in fact, it was a really viable business process or, or a very viable business. Um, and as I say, that really was where Outside In was born. I needed a job. This was a, a, a gap in the market. Certainly in Scotland, there was a gap in the market for a garden room company because back then in 2017, there was pretty much nobody doing exactly that. So we took six months and researched the, the market, looked at how we could build it, prototypes, materials, all these kind of aspects of running the business. And from there, six months later, Outside In Garden Rooms was, was born. We um, sold, my first garden room was sold in May, June 2018. And since then, we literally haven't stopped building garden rooms at all. So it's been a heck of a journey since May 2018, since launching to market. So for the listeners who maybe don't know what a garden room is, yeah. talk us through that. So a garden room, really, for all intents and purposes, it's a very, very posh shed. Um, we all get really annoyed at people saying, I want a shed, a nice fancy shed. However, in layman's terms, that's exactly what it is. It's a posh shed. Um, so a, a space that can be used as primarily, obviously, at the moment since lockdown, home offices, home gym, Kids hang out, study space. A lot of people use them as therapy spaces, studios. So basically, it's a classed as a permitted development in the back of your garden. Timber frame structure, super insulated, PVC windows and doors. But essentially, it's a very, very posh shed. So without that background in construction, was mm. there were any challenges when you first started? Um, obviously, I'm not in construction. So my, my background is... Uh, uh, a graphic designer essentially and I've run a business before in marketing digital marketing never anything to do with construction so that was the biggest challenge for me was getting into a market and a business that I knew absolutely nothing about um, I worked with some really talented people who helped come up with the product and the designs and all the rest of it but essentially that was the really scary bit for me was selling a product in an industry I knew 
pretty much nothing about. Um, but I then took on my first head joiner, um, who's phenomenally experienced, um, time-served joiner, so his expertise was amazing. And as I say, surrounding myself with people who know what they're talking about was essential to me. Selling and running a business is the easy bit. I, I That's business development and sales has always been my background. So speaking with customers, speaking with clients is the easy bit for me. But obviously I needed to surround myself with people who had the knowledge and the understanding of construction, timber, engineering, these sorts of things. So it was a case of establishing where the gaps were in my knowledge base and speaking with people that were um, that had that expertise to help me build a business that was robust and solid and selling something, selling a product that was robust and solid. Do you think it helped? Because something I, I think a lot about with, um, with Story Shop is mm. that we're working across lots of different sectors and you're learning from all these different sectors yeah. and what works and what doesn't. Did you find that with TikTok, that you'd worked in so many different yes. sectors and had all that experience? Yeah, probably, absolutely. I mean, um, you know... Yeah, I mean, the TikTok days, we, we did everything from, um, you know, working with the likes of a lot of the Edinburgh festivals to doing working in education sector, charity sectors, whiskey, drink sectors. So there's a huge learning curve as to how all these business businesses run, what they sell, what their product is, what their challenges are. So that, for me, was part of the journey of Outside In, was understanding what the challenges are, who the target market is, dealing with different suppliers. That was a huge one, is dealing with different suppliers that suddenly you know, you're thrown right in at the deep end of dealing with timber merchants, structural engineers, these sorts of people that you've never had any dealings with. But yeah, absolutely, having run a business for 18 years where you're dealing with all sorts of different clients and sectors was definitely a huge um, part of my learning curve or, or helped enormously with the learning curve at Outside In was knowing that the expertise is out there. It's just finding it and making sure that you do your research and understand your market and understand your suppliers and having a good relationship with all your suppliers as well and learning from them, um, which, yes, as you say, having run TikTok, that definitely was um, an enormous help in the process. So tell me a bit about, uh, running, about that journey from mm. starting TikTok to 18 years later. Oh, blame me. Well, so, I mean, TikTok um, was formed, myself and my colleague David formed TikTok in 1999. Um, we set up initially as just a standard design house, designing logos, brochures, leaflets. That was obvious. This was way before the digital era. So it was all about logos, brochures, leaflets. Um, and within about six months, we managed to get ourselves on the tender list for the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which was amazing, but utterly terrifying. And um, we got down to the final stages. The Fringe then came in and said, right, we want to come in and meet with you guys in your office premises just to make sure you're not working from your back bedroom. And we were absolutely working from our back bedroom. So we cleared all of the all of the furniture and all the rest of it, put up fake signs to say, you know, ladies' toilets this way. Um, the Fringe came out to meet with us, we busked it, and we got the job. So that essentially catapulted us into, A, the digital sector, and B, into a, just a much, much bigger field. So we won the Fringe within six months of setting up. We then won one of the... A, a sizable property development company um, and then we picked up various other festival websites also so all this time we're running the the, the branding side of things but the website of the business suddenly took off um, I mean there was many many sleepless nights and as I say it was a terrifying journey when the fringe said yes we'll go with you and essentially the business then just grew from there um, we took on um, 
numerous members of staff. We developed a fairly strong reputation in the education sector because we would do numerous college websites and we expanded our digital expertise with numerous de- web developers so that we could look at integrating with college systems. We then were working extensively with charities, again, integrating with charities, um, internal fundraising um, softwares, college um, admissions softwares, these sorts of things. So our sort of technical expertise really began to grow. From there, essentially, we really started moving away from the traditional branding side of things because nobody was printing annual reports and big fancy glossy brochures anymore. So we established that really we had to make a decision to drop the branding side of the business um, and we then expanded the digital side of things and as I say, started to take on more developers. Um, and that journey just continued on um, for 17, 18 years in my respect. The company's still very much... Hugely, hugely successful digital agency and very much still um, up and running. But for me, it was just going too heavily down that route of social media algorithms, and you know, when you're when you're pitching in a product that you really don't have a massive amount of engagement with, I was finding it really, really hard to remain enthusiastic about it. Um, and that's when we sat down, myself and David sat down and established that really um, I needed to pursue a different path. Um, and we worked out a buyout um, strategy and I stepped away from the business. Um, and I took a year, as I say, um, to think what I was going to do. And in that year, I worked for a, one of my best friends is a children's author. So she was desperately in need of some help with some marketing, um, PR, these kind of things. We were we spent ages visiting school after school after school where Angela would read to the, the children promoting her book, which is a fabulous um, children's book series set on the island of Arran. Um, so we went to Arran, we did all sorts of book launches, book signings. I spent hours walking up and down Bars Road je- dressed in full witch costume because the book <laughs> is all about witches. So there's me with my hat and my green Didn't face. Nice that was you. That's me. That was me. Yeah, absolutely. I did Brayhead. I did the <laughs> Avenue Newton Merns. I dressed as a football on the island of Arran. Um, but yes, you could have seen me dressed as a witch, full bright green face makeup, up and down Byers Road, um, and all over the place, helping Angela promote her book. I do love a bit of dress up, so as I say, it uh, it, it fell right into my hands when she said, "Would you dress up as a witch to help me promote my book?" I said, "Yes, of course, I would love to. Can I have a wig? Can I have a hat? Can I do the full green face makeup?" So yeah, so think wicked, and that was me, as I say, up and down Byers Road. Um, but as I say, really, that that wasn't my passion. That that I was really just helping Angela out, and it was brilliant. And it, and, and Angela is incredible. Um, her book series is 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 amazing. Um, but as I say, it really wasn't my passion, um, and I needed a different challenge. Uh, so that really was, as I say, then at that point, probably a year into having left TikTok, about a year later, established that I really needed to stop messing about and stop drinking coffees with friends and get a real job. Um, so that, as I say, was where the the concept of the garden rooms was born, was through needing something to do. <laughs> How hard was it to get it off the ground and get a product market fit with it? I, I mean, genuinely, I I didn't find it hard. Um, it was, it, well, it was terrifying. That's not fair. It wasn't not hard. It was terrifying because we did our six months of product development research, looking at the market, looking at the competitors up in Scotland, Huge amount of competition down in England, but very few in Scotland. So that whole phase for six months was was easy. And we built the prototype in the workshop. And then it's the first one that we ever built is in the bottom of my garden in Jordan Hill. 
that was the easy bit. Then launching that to market was definitely scary because I had to take on my first joiner um, with no work on the books because essentially having done quite a bit of phoning around trying to find a joiner to perhaps just subcontract if I was to pick a, win a client and then go and find a joiner, that became very apparent very quickly that was not going to work. So for me, I needed to have a joiner with me before I went to market. So it was a really tough ch- chicken and egg process. So anyway, I approached Michael, who has been with me from the get-go and is just amazing, and said, will you come on board with me? I don't have any jobs at the moment, but I will. I promise I will have work. And I had to guarantee his wages for a year because it was a big leap of faith for him to come on board with me with no work on the books. So thankfully, Michael said yes. So we spent a very, very nervous first probably four or six weeks of him starting in May to getting my first ever client at the start of early start of early of June 2018. Um, I mean, I would I would have said yes to any job, anything. You know, clients would would say, you know, can I can I do this? Can I do that? Or could you? And I was just going, yes, of course, we'll do anything. Yes, absolutely. Just to try and get that first job yeah. over the line. I was going left, right and centre, going everywhere, just looking at clients' gardens, you know, coming up with suggestions and ideas and whatnot. So there was definitely a huge amount of winging it at that stage, but through sheer terror of, I've got this guy on my books, I've got a workshop, I've got costs, overheads that are mounting, I need a client. But you need that terror at some well, point. It's absolutely. A motivator. Absolutely, or, or else you would just sit back. Yeah. You know? So my first ever job was lovely, lovely clients, Laura and David. Thank you, Laura and David. Um, from Knightswood, um, who came to see me on the Saturday. I went to see them on the Sunday, and they phoned me on the Monday, and they said, right, we're in, we'll, we'll go. How and did I, they hear about you? Um, Facebook. Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Um, because, again, I was obviously trying to market my business as cheaply as I possibly could. Yep. So I used all my Facebook networks, a lot of um, the sort of um, local groups, mm-hmm. um Jordan Hill Watch or uh, women's business groups, these sorts of things, I would put out posts just to say, I've launched my business, please help me. Like and share anything that you can do to help me get my business off the ground would be amazing. So did as much as I could without incurring any major costs. So yes, so Laura and David phoned me on the Monday and said, that's great, we'll go ahead. And I actually think I screamed on the phone before I hung up (laughs) because I was trying to remain very calm. And she she said, yes, that's great, we'll go ahead. And and as I said, I went, that's fabulous, that's brilliant. Thanks, Laura. And I literally, I think, went, ah! And then went, oh, I've not hung up. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. So she's never said that. She's never said, did you actually scream? But I did scream very loudly um, with utter relief and joy at the fact that we've got a client, we're off and running. Mm-hmm. And that essentially, we, we literally haven't stopped building since that day. Um, they then the, the jobs then just started sort of pottering in um, from there. Um, and it was Michael and myself... There was um, a chap who helped out building the kits and whatnot. But we, we would build the kits one at a time, build the kit in the workshop with, as I say, head joiner Michael, and then we would take it to site and build it on site, and then we would go back and build. So it was very much a slow process because we needed, obviously, we needed manufacturing time and build time. Um, but as I say, the jobs then just started started rolling in. Um, we very quickly got some really nice, obviously, client comments, these sorts of things. But, I mean, yeah. Blimey, the terror those first sort of six, eight weeks of what have I done? Um, we were lucky to have launched. 
probably maybe a wee bit late to the market because it was May, June time. Obviously, our real busy time starts to ramp up May, um, March, April, May mm-hmm. in time for the summer. So we were probably a wee bit late launching the business. So again, that was terror from my point of view of have I missed have I missed the boat this year? Is it going to be next spring before people are really even remotely interested? However, I was wrong and uh, we hadn't missed the boat. Um, we just got there just in time. So, it, I mean, it was incredible, as I say, that first phone call. I, could, I was sitting outside Morrison's at Annie's Land when Laura phoned me. Um, and I ran into the workshop jumping and shouting, going, oh, we've got a client! We've got a client! So it was fab. <laughs> uh, you said the process is, was quite slow at the beginning. How's that changed? In well, sense? obviously, uh, lockdown has been just phenomenal for us. It's a terrible thing to say, but lockdown has played right into our hands. So previously, um, we would build the kits in the workshop, which was a fairly slow process because we were... Michael, my lovely head joiner, is phenomenally attentive to detail and we refer to him as Millimeter Mick, so he likes to be really, really on it with his, with his quality of what we're producing. But realistically, the pace that the jobs started coming at us, not even just lockdown, but before lockdown, the pace that the work started coming at us, we realised fairly quickly this is not sustainable. We cannot build the kits in our workshop without proper manufacturing capabilities. We can't build the um, kits at the pace that the clients are coming at us. So we um, explored alternative providers and we outsourced to a timber kit manufacturer. So we now outsource our the kits of our garden rooms. The, the basic skeleton shell is now outsourced to a house builder um, or a timber kit manufacturer. And that means that we're not doing any workshop work ourselves. Everything, all the manufacturing is, is outsourced and the kits then come to us. Outsourced locally, it's a Scot- uh, just outside Glasgow company um, to keep the, the footprint um, of the jobs down. So the kits are then stored in our workshop and we then take the kits to site. So as I say, that's the, that's the major difference is that we no longer manufacture our own kits. We've outsourced to a specialist timber kit manufacturer. And that has meant that we have been able to massively increase our production times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've taken on more staff. Um, where at the start it was just myself and one joiner. We then took on um, another uh, lead joiner, uh, Stuart, and then we took on an apprentice, Daniel. And then from there we've taken on more team members. Um, we've just literally just employed another apprentice and uh, we've got an Edinburgh office and an Edinburgh team. So we've got three guys through in Edinburgh as well. So as I say, we've, we've gradually been expanding the teams to cover a wider um, geographical area. Uh, and, and as I say, able to cope with demand because the demand has absolutely gone through the roof since March 2020. How did it compare to pre-March 2020? Oh, I, I mean, off the scale. Um, the 23rd of March 2020 was when Boris locked the world down or locked the UK down. And I got one massive client signed off on the Wednesday, um, having never met, all done by phone, all done over... Did we do? A, I don't even know if we did a FaceTime, but they were neighbours of another client. And as soon as lockdown hit, and I think people started to go, holy moly, we're going to need somewhere to work from home. Mm-hmm. So I signed a, a, a really nice job on the Wednesday after lockdown, which blew me away again. Another one of these um, sort of, not a light bulb moment, a, a lightning bolt moment, mm-hmm. because you think doomsday, holy moly, I've just spent two years investing in, bringing my business on, I've just employed joiners, everything is, is going well, and then boom, it all stopped. So I thought, that's it, game over, 
I don't know where to go. I've got, still got three years left of the lease of my workshop. Mm. All these kind of dread thoughts go through your mind. Um, and then, as I say, within two days of lockdown, we had a lovely big job on the books. Mm. And the inquiries, the phone calls, the Facebook inquiries all started to roll. And obviously we responded through doing virtual visits on FaceTime and all the rest of it. So we took quite a few orders during lockdown. During those first six weeks of lockdown, mm. we secured quite a few um, nice new orders. And that's just continued And that's ever just since. continued. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that we 2020 versus 2021, our turnover of output of buildings increased by 245%. So that's a massive increase in the number of rooms that we built in a year. And as I say, it's primarily been driven by lockdown. Um, lockdown and obviously the essence of what we're building is a really top-end quality product um, that people want, need. It's a, it's a quick solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. So essentially, as I say, for all, it, yes, we absolutely benefited from lockdown. Um, it's, a, it's, it's there for the long term. It's not a quick fix, something that, that people will no longer need. There's no question. But I guess there's a big network effect as well. If your neighbour gets one, and you think, oh, that would might work in my garden. We've literally just finished build garden room number four in a street in Bearsden, <laughs> literally last week. And in fact, we we're doing a fifth job because the the mother of the client lives in Love Avenue in Bearsden, um, and her son needed a garden room round the corner. So essentially, we've got four rooms in the one street and the mother of somebody else um, saw our vans outside and asked us if we could do a room for our son round the corner. And we've done three in one street in Lindsay. Uh, so yeah, um, the, the word of mouth and just vehicular advertising is a very strong tool. Yeah. How has it been growing into Edinburgh? Amazing. Amazing. Um, again, because we had a really solid foundation of existing clients, you know, testimonials, case studies. The business was really, we had, an, you know, our website presence, our Facebook presence, our case studies was really, really growing. So essentially when Glasgow was launched, we launched Cold. It was a fairly new concept. People didn't really know what a garden room was back in 2018. They were all a wee bit, is this, a, as you say, or as I say, a posh shed, you know, how is this different from a summer house, a conservatory? So in, in 2018, when we launched Glasgow, it was a bit of a harder um, uphill struggle because we had nothing really to go on other than my garden room in my garden in the West End. When we launched Edinburgh, we obviously had a really solid track record to build on, which was fantastic. So to coin a cheesy office bingo phrase, we hit the ground running um, and... My, it's my sister who runs the Edinburgh office, Wendy, and um, she went to see, I can't even, I think it was in December maybe, Wendy came on board in January, and there was a couple of inquiries, came in in December, Wendy went to see them in January, and within about three days of getting three, going to see three clients, all three signed on the dotted line. I mean, it was, I think Wendy just about passed out because we couldn't believe you know, Wendy phoned me and she went, you're not going to believe it, but the, all those three jobs that I went to see, they've all said yes. So um, that was, a, you know, I mean, it was mind-blowingly fantastic. Um, so again, though, we very quickly had to bring on um, joiners to cover uh, the Edinburgh team. So we did, and uh, the Edinburgh jobs kicked off really quickly. We we put a showroom model in a garden centre over there in Edinburgh and Morton Hall, which has been a huge, um, a huge bonus because a lot of people do, we do get a lot of business from that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Edinburgh has just gone, again, there have been no breaks in the schedule in Edinburgh. 
uh, it's it's just been incredible the pace that it's that it's gone at. And again, word word of mouth, proximity, a lot of close by. We've seen your van. Yeah, we did we did two in the same street in Edinburgh uh, last year as well. So it's it's been great. It's really been good. Well, wasn't that interesting? I can't wait to hear what they say next. If you're looking for something for your eyes to do while you're listening to this fascinating interview, why not visit our website at wearestoryshop.com. There you can do it all. Sign up for our newsletters filled with witty commentary, read all the lovely things our clients have to say about us, meet the team, and find our social media channels so you can keep up to date with all the stories we're telling. That's wearestoryshop.com. Now back to the interview. How's it been working with your sister? Ha, great, fine, fine, <laughs> fine, she says. Through, through good teeth. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, Wendy and I are very different people. Um, and we knew that. We're, we, we are, we've always been very, very close. Um, we go on holiday together. We party together. So it was a big concern for us when we looked at Wendy coming on board. Obviously, I was increasingly getting inquiries from the East Coast and beyond, you know, over the fourth, down into the borders. And the travel time involved, from my point of view, was just not sustainable. So that was when, as I say, we did think, right, this is a really good opportunity for my sister to come on board. What she was doing before um, was struggling to cope with lockdown and there really wasn't much work. Um, in it was her, in the TV and In film the TV industry. industry, that's right, yeah, yeah. So she was really struggling for... Um, um, have a valid place anymore um, primarily as I say because of lockdown so we thought right this is a perfect opportunity I can't cope with the incoming inquiries the business is going absolutely skyward Wendy why don't you come on board and, and essentially replicate what I'm doing in the west and the east but we sat down and had a, a long hard conversation about the worry of working with your sister um, and how that can affect her relationship now, I obviously, when I was at TikTok, it was with my then husband that I was working with. So I was very familiar with working with a family member or a partner. So I've David and I had a great relationship at TikTok and that we could separate. We would leave it at the door. We would mm-hmm. Work was work. And we had very different skill sets at TikTok. And that worked really, really well. Wendy and I are exactly the same. We have very different approaches and skill sets, again, um, I I refer to myself as the back of the fag packet girl. I just just do it. Don't really think about it and just go, yeah, it'll be fine. But just do it. But we'll deal with it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Whereas Wendy is very diligent. She will spreadsheet everything. She, I mean, barely leaves the house without a spreadsheet. There's a plan. There's a structure. There's a strategy. There's a thought. There's a document for everything. Wendy never leaves the house without a big giant notebook. I never take a notebook anywhere. Even we went for our year-end meeting with the accountant recently, and Wendy said, "Where's your Where's your laptop bag? Where's your laptop? Where's your notebook?" And I went, "Well, why? I don't, I don't, I don't need it." And you know, Wendy's got paperwork and pens and you know everything imaginable to take notes to do this, that, and the next. And I don't write down anything. So from that point of view, Wendy and I are very different, and we have very different skill sets, which is a good thing in the sense that. You know, if, if we need to do some budget planning, if we need to do some forecasting, these kind of things, I just look blank and go, well, I don't know. I haven't a clue. 
where Wendy will sit and will work really diligently to come up with a plan and look back and look forward and really interrogate figures, these sorts of things, so that we know that the business is, is working, is profitable, is going in the right direction. For me, I'm very much more focused on marketing, sales, business development. You know, I upkeep the website, I look at our social media profiles, these sorts of things. So they're really complementary skill sets, um, but we both respect and appreciate where each other's skills and expertise lies. Don't get me wrong, of course, there's always going to be flashpoints mm-hmm. where, you know, I might just crack on and do something. And when do you go, well, why did you, why did you do We didn't sit and talk about that or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but again, we both know that at the end of the day, we draw a line at work and we go away for the weekend or we go to a music festival mm-hmm. or, you know, we go up to our family's home in Aberfeldy and spend the weekend together so it works really well but we do appreciate that there are challenges and there's no question that there are times where both of us have to bite our tongues and go okay that's fine I accept and I appreciate that that's your opinion I don't agree with it but I'm just going to suck it up and get on with it but on the other side of that you can be so brutally honest when it's someone that you're close with and you know that it's not going to irrevocably damage the relationship, the relationship because totally. you, you've been through the, <laughs> that yeah. before in the past yeah and you can probably speak in a slightly more as you say yeah. brutally honest way with uh-huh. your sister than you could anybody else who you might worry about offending them or not quite sure how they'll take it so and yeah I, i've talked about this with um with other people <coughs> on the podcast before but you know there's always that don't work with friends don't work with yeah. family and things but i think it's just it's always don't work with friends or family just because they're your friends or family. Yeah. You know, that's where yes, it goes wrong. Absolutely. If they're the right person for the job, then make it work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. We, we, we've, in my past experiences, you do, as you say, you take on somebody who's maybe looking for a job and you think, oh, you could come and give us a hand, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. But they're not the right person. And it just doesn't work because they're not the right person. They might be the best friend in the world and they're lovely. But if they're not good at the job that you've brought them on to do, mm-hmm. then... No, it's never going to work. And as I say, again, that's where um, when David and I set up TikTok, business development, sales, marketing, that was me. David was the design, the creative side mm-hmm. of things. So, you know, I could I could go and get the client. I could so search out, seek out the client, contact them, do all the, the, the preamble, work out what their brief is, get their briefing document, and then take it to David, and David would come up with a creative. Mm-hmm. And that was where we drew the line. I also, you know, finance, HR, that sort of thing is where I... Um, is, that's my um, line of work whereas as I say again David would be all the creative yeah. he would go and pitch things he would talk talk the talk about the designs about the, the website designs all these kind of things that would be way beyond me and essentially that as I say is very much the same with Wendy and I now that, that Wendy and I would never have joined forces if this was absolutely not her mm-hmm. not her bag um, because it would have been absolute madness. Um, and as I say, I've done it before. I know that you have to be really, really strict. And I mean, you know, you're the same as well. You'll know. You've you've got to just respect that work is work. We leave it at the door. Um, I've not quite worked out how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Just, just you know. Uh, but yeah. Scarlett would have been feeding miles and would be like, have you done that for <laughs> well, that client? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose TikTok, we had two very young, we had yeah. two babies through, through TikTok as well. So, And it was hard suddenly that you go from being full-time, full-on, 100% involved in the business to I want to be a mum. I want to, I don't, you know, there needs to be some separation. I want to do all the stuff with the, the children when they're teeny wee. And that was another reason, I think, really why when I left TikTok, I didn't want to take, I couldn't really take a, nine to five type job because mm-hmm. a i've never done it i've never worked for anybody other than myself mm-hmm. but 
work-life balance for me has always been really important and I always wanted to, where at all possible, be at the school gates and pick up the kids. And in the gap year between TikTok and Outside In, um, and can I just clarify that TikTok has nothing to do with the music platform, <laughs> nothing. We came up with TikTok first back in 1999, <laughs> way before TikTok, so there's, there's no connection. Um, but when I left and I was looking, and I went and spoke to a couple of headhunters and a couple of um, recruitment companies about taking a job type. Um, and they were all saying, well, your hours will be nine till half past five. You'll be based in Perth. You'll be doing this, that and the next. And, and I just went, well, no, but I have to be at the school gates at half past three every day, end of. Or, I, you know, I have to take the children to school. So I, I can't start work at eight o'clock. So that was where, um, for me, the work-life balance has always been really important um, and to be there for the children and be able to take them to all of their um, dentist appointments, which was where I was this morning. I was doing the orthodontist run. And, you know, so being in control of your own destiny and running your own business, the you know, it's blooming hard and all the stress and all the pressure is on you. The buck stops with me and Wendy. But at the end of the day, it does give you that flexibility to, mm-hmm. to be able to, as I say, take your kids to the orthodontist or take them to the fracture clinic or, you know, all these kind of things that if you were in a nine to five job where your employer might not be quite so accommodating of these kind of things, I thought, I can't do it. I, I would I would struggle with that. But when you start your business, you know, you could be working seven days a week, 24 hours a day and it still wouldn't it, be enough. No. And that's the hard thing. So it's to being able to actually be strict with yourself and yeah. draw that line because yeah. otherwise it's diminishing returns after, yeah, a, after a while. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that has been hard. It's been hard, um, but again, I suppose lockdown has probably made it slightly easier in the sense that we've been so busy, just so busy, um, but essentially you had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, totally. well, I'm going to a festival this weekend, so I can't be, I can't go and see clients, or I can't be doing quotes, or I can't be doing this, that, and the next. Um, or, you know, in the evenings, I play squash. haven't played squash all through lockdown, obviously. Um, so all of the things that I loved stopped, as with everybody. Um, but it gave me that time to that I could focus on the business because you had nothing else to do of an evening or, or at the weekends. And the children would obviously be they, they're now up and away playing with their, hanging out with their mates and all the rest of it. So as I say, from, from that point of view, it, it worked. And it was a bit of a double-edged sword in that the business was really, really busy, busy and you could focus on the business at the weekends and, you know, sitting on your laptop till 10, 11 o'clock at night because you knew that you weren't going to f- for a nice meal, you weren't going to the pub with your friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, your friends could come round and sit in your back garden for an hour or so before it got too flipping cold <laughs> to sit out in the back garden. Um, so what's the ambition, the hope for the next few years? Um, we Well, we're, we're, we're always obviously looking at improving what we do um, and looking at different markets, the, the glamping sector, um, obviously supplying our rooms further afield. Um, we're doing a huge amount of l- uh, research and looking at improving the environmental credentials of our rooms, obviously of our buildings, um, with obviously COP26 back in November last year, Wendy and I attended a, a couple of the events there. So we're really keen to look at ways to drastically improve the environmental cr- credentials. They're, I mean, they're fairly well high-performing rooms anyway, but things like we're looking at improving the insulation, um, making sure that all of our timber is 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 not just FSC certified, but can they can really they can really back up all the certifications of all the materials. Different types of glazing. Um, the majority of the glazing that we use is UPVC. Again, the environmental credentials credentials of that aren't fantastic. But if we 
it's, it's finding that balance of where can we improve things without massively affecting the budget. Um, so that's a constant research and development process that Wendy and I are always going through. We're always speaking to different people, looking at what else could we be doing. Again, reducing the, the, the miles of our projects. The primary source of our timber is Siberia. Siberian larch is what we clad our, our rooms in. Obviously, the miles on that timber, fairly extensive. So we've been using a different type of timber that is it's manufactured. Well, obviously, it's it's the from the tree. It's manufactured in the UK, so the mileage on that is far less. So as I say, that's one of the things that we're always looking at is improving our environmental credentials on our rooms, and as I say, looking at different markets, different sectors. We're um, partnering with a house builder. We're in, installing a garden room within a new development in the south side of Glasgow, um, in sort of early May, as their show home. Rather than rather than having a show home, a marketing suite within the show home, mm-hmm. they're going to put a garden room in the garden, and that's going to be their their option suite, as they call it. You know, where you choose your your tiles, your kitchen finishes, these sorts of things. So the garden room is is going with the house when the show home is sold. The garden room is being sold with it, and they will market these garden rooms to their clients as well. So partnering with with other companies is a huge area of growth for us. Um, obviously things like the landscaping services we we partner with a landscape company so that it's not just we come in, we pop a wee garden room in we're looking at a much more cohesive approach and looking at the bigger um, the overall project and how the garden room sits within your room Can what else can we bring to the table um, which again opens up bigger projects bigger clients, more distant projects um, so that's, that's where we're always looking to expand into different sectors and markets How are you finding that when you're you know, having these BTC conversations and then speaking to lots of developers and things like that. Is that <coughs> wearing all those hats? Is that quite difficult? Well, again, I think that takes me back to my TikTok days. Uh-huh. Um, that, you you know, one day you would be speaking with a coffee bean manufacturer and then the next day you're speaking with a, a, an international um, company who makes x-ray machines for the animal sector. They, they, they um, provide x-ray machines for sheeps and sheeps, sheep and cattle. Um, so as I say, and you're trying to get a grasp of their business, you're trying to understand what their product is, who their target market is, this sort of thing. And then as I say, the next day you're speaking with a wee retailer who's got a wee shop in Dundee. Um, so I think the ability to be able to speak to different people, um, I guess, has, has stood me in good stead. Um, that you, you, know, you can have these big business conversations, um, but equally, you know, you're, you're not uncomfortable speaking with somebody who's just looking for a tiny wee office um, in a tiny wee house down in you know Ayrshire because they're now working from home permanently so I've always as I say been in a business development sales kind of line of work so for me speaking to all sorts of different people I find the easy bit you know again dealing with suppliers another thing that Wendy and I are really proud of is the fact that we're really one of the few female-led businesses obviously in the garden world that is female-led um, it's a very male orientated construction is a very male orientated business um, and you know it's got quite a hefty reputation as such and not necessarily a good reputation um, so we, we definitely find that a couple of people have said to me how do you find dealing with suppliers do you not find that you know you're going into a big timber merchant and they're fairly brutal and they're fairly condescending do you get that whole you know yeah all right love off you pop you know you're a, you're a woman in a man's world Absolutely not at all. I really, I've never found that at all. Um, again, I think as, as long as you treat people with respect and you speak to them the way that you expect to be spoken to, um, and 
you you know I like to you know you listen to people you take their knowledge on um you know they know an awful lot more about timber than I do so I would never go into a timber merchant and say I know what I'm talking about you know and this is how it's going to be you know it's very much a case of I want to, to learn from you tell me all about your product let's understand where you're coming from um and come in at that kind of level and on a par and you get treated with respect if you treat people with respect so um yeah it's 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 something that I've always found I can handle speaking with all sorts of different people in all different walks of life and have you found obviously there's supply chain challenges at the moment have, have you faced any difficulties with that Do you know I have to say absolutely not um we do wonder well the prices has absolutely hit the business there's no question the prices of materials has gone through the roof. It's quite terrifying to um, January 2020, what we were paying for it, our basic materials to what we're paying now. I mean, it just is off the scale. Um, and we've had, to, we've had to absorb and weather quite a lot of that storm. But actual material availability, we never found a problem. Um, I think probably because, again, Wendy and I are really good organisers. You know, spreadsheet Wendy. Everything is so well planned in advance. And again, our lead times... Times can be in excess of six months. So we know that in six months' time, we have to have X, Y, and Z in place. Um, where, again, I think a lot of the construction industries, the smaller side of the construction industries, they'll maybe be a wee bit more reactive. And, you know, they'll know that they're going to a job on Monday. So at seven o'clock, they'll turn up at the timber merchants on Monday morning to say, I'm doing this and I need this, that, and the next. And they'll go, well, you're going to have to wait seven days for that, if not more. Whereas we're so well organised that we make sure everything is, is in place well in advance um, and all through lockdown we never went short but then we're not demanding massive quantities of anything it's not you know we're not Calla Homes we're not going in and saying we need 20,000 sheets of plasterboard tomorrow please we need 20 and if we can't find 20 from one merchant we'll go to another um, so again through dogged determination and making sure that we were organised and we have systems in place um, we never went short so, no, it, it, it was fine, and I really do think we've weathered the storm really well. And again, having really good working relationships with our suppliers, that, you know, it's a case of, look, if there's going to be a delay, if there's going to be something that's going to cause us problems, just tell us, don't leave it till the last minute. Mm-hmm. So we were always really preemptive with our suppliers to, to say, right, okay, in the next three months, what's going to happen? Um, so we, we restructured our workshop last sort of May-June time when it was beginning to become apparent that we might run out of, deck boards, plasterboard. Um, so we restructured our workshop and we created racks and we bought in three months worth of supplies, which we wouldn't normally do to make sure that we never did run out. Um, and that, that worked a treat, but we don't have to do that anymore. Another big challenge other people are facing at the moment is recruitment. You've grown the team yeah. quite quickly over yeah. the, the past uh, couple of years. Mm. How have you found that? That Yeah, that, no question that's a challenge. I would say that's probably one of our biggest challenges um, is, is finding... Finding people, but finding the right people, um, and it, it's an ongoing challenge. Um, you know, we're we're we had a meeting yesterday about who our next recruitment, who our next post will be, and what we're looking to bring to the team. And um, again, I guess because it's a different sector that we're working in construction. For me, you, you know, marketing, you would you would use the drum, you would use the, you know the relevant tools at the time to find people. So it's been trying to understand where would you go to find a joiner. Um, so we had to look at different portals and it, it's definitely, it's a tough one. It's absolutely a tough one. We've got amazing guys on now um, and we've got a really stable team um, and it's working really, really well. 
But we know that obviously as the business grows, it's constantly going to be um, a headache. Obviously, again, from a recruitment point of view, word of mouth is good because um, we took somebody on in Edinburgh last year who works with one of our joiners and he knew him and um, and endorsed him, rated him. And he's been that's been great. That works great because we've got a really good team. Um, it's the same in Glasgow. Our, our second apprentice works or is at college with our first apprentice. Um, and he's got great um, got a great reputation from his lecturers and all the rest of it. So we interviewed him. He wasn't happy where he was. So he's come on board and he's absolutely brilliant. So v- again, word of mouth and having us having a good reputation um, as an employer is as, as important. Um, again, work-life balance for us is, is, is really key. We, we rarely ask the guys to work overtime or weekends because... I don't want to be doing that, so why would I expect my guys to do it? Mm-hmm. So again, it's about running a really tight ship, making sure our schedule is well organised and um, the guys know that, okay, we've got to be finished by Friday. If for whatever reason it's not finished on Friday and you run into Monday, that's okay. We're not going to go off our heads and crack the whip. Um, so as I say, we, we do like to, as I say, keep our guys happy um, and not work them to death, which again is a bit of a reputation that the construction sector has, you know, that guys aren't respected and aren't appreciated and they're flogged to death. So after starting two successful businesses, mm-hmm. what would your advice be to someone who's going to start a business? Um, research, 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 and research again. Make sure you understand absolutely what you're getting into. Look at who your competition is. Understand your market. Now, I, I, I hold my hands up and say I potentially got it wrong with who I thought my market target market was. I thought it was going to be big, massive posh houses out in the suburbs with fancy cars and all the rest of it. Totally wrong. Um, our first half a dozen clients were from, you know, small inner city type houses. Not what I expected at all. So do your research on your market. Know what you're aiming at. Understand your product. Understand your suppliers. Meet with your suppliers. Talk to everybody. Listen to everybody. And don't kid yourself that you know more than everybody else because rarely do. Um, but essentially, if you're confident and believe in what you're going to do, you just have to commit to it. You just have to jump. I remember listening to a girl who, uh, 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 it was a, a business, um, a sort of a mentoring type thing, and her question to the chair person was, I've got this great idea for my business that I want to do, but I think I'm only going to do it part time. And when is the right time to give up my job and commit to my new business? And, you know, from my point of view, my thoughts on that was, well, if you're not really, you don't really sound that committed to it. And I, I understand and I totally get it. it's a terrifying place to be to jump ship and give up a full time wage. But until such time as you do, you'll never commit 100 mm-hmm. percent to your business. And therefore, how can it really how can you say you've given it a really good shot if you've never committed 100 percent to it? Mm-hmm. Um but I could see the look of fear in that girl's face yeah. because obviously you've got a wage, you've got a pay packet, you've got mortgages, you've got bills to pay. And it's this huge leap of faith and it absolutely is a huge leap of faith. And as I say, that first six weeks when I was paying wages and I had no clients was a terrifying place to be. But I had faith in what I'd set up and I knew that there was a market out there for it. You just have to hold your nerve. Um, but as I say, commit 100% to it and do your research and know what you're getting into um, look at your competitors, do some secret shopping, um, you know, get people to, to, to go and look at your suppliers or, or set up fake meetings with suppliers. Um, 
hold my hands up. We did that. You know, my mum and dad got quotes from from all of my competitors. <laughs> Friends got quotes from a lot of my competitors. That's just what we do, and it just means that you understand your competition. Um, and you know, again, look at your costs. Make sure that it's not going to cost you too much. It's not a financially viable product before you launch something to market. So, as I say, understand all your costs. Do your research. And if someone wants a garden room, how do they go about getting one? Well, obviously my website, outsideingardenrooms.co.uk, is me. Um, we're on Facebook, Insta, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, everywhere. Um, we've got a showroom in, in Edinburgh in Morton Hall Garden Centre. We're putting another couple of showroom models in uh, Livingston, Morton Hall, uh, Livingston Klondike Garden Centre in the next couple of months. But the website or Facebook social media profiles, you can find me. Find us all over the place. So, we ask these wee questions at the end of every interview. Uh, and you're no different, so I'll ask them now. So, tell us who would play you in a film of your life. That's a, that's a really rubbish question. Um, it is. It's and pretty it, rubbish. It we're actually we're putting them back to the drawing board. Okay. Trying to think of some better questions. So, if you have <laughs> any ideas. Um, well, the, the only person I think probably... Well, the, the one that comes to mind, because she waffles and never stops talking a bit like me, um, somebody like Meg Ryan, who, as I say, is just a bit of a, a bit floopy and, and never stops talking. Great. Okay. And what would your autobiography be called? Well, my sister will love this. Um, probably back of a fag packet works for me, because that's my mantra. <laughs> it literally <laughs> is. It literally is. When Wendy and I sat down and, and my brother-in-law said, so... Where, you know, what, where are you going to write the business plan? And, and I literally said, well, back of a fag pack, it works for me. So, uh, And it has thus far. I don't smoke, though, but I'm just saying. <laughs> and the first song in the soundtrack of your life? <laughs> well, let's see. I don't know. I am what I am because I am, literally. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And a shout out to one business. Well, that's probably, it's an easy one, Gregor. I'm going to shout out you guys because when we set up Outside In, I don't know if you remember back, when was that now? Three years ago? We met in November, November 2019. at a rugby event. and Glasgow Hawks at Kelvin Side Glasgow Academy. Hawks at Kelvin Side. I needed help with a bit of PR just to keep the profile going. You needed a couple of clients because you were setting up your business and you guys have done some amazing work for us. So, And when Wendy came on board, we were straight back to speak to you guys. Um, so, yeah, no, genuinely, I think, as I say, totally respect and appreciate people who set up their own businesses. And uh, I think you guys are doing some amazing stuff. So That's lovely to Call hear. it cheesy, but there you I go. Know, and I think at the start as well, like it was great because we had a really long chat that day just talking about, yeah. you know, starting up a business. Yeah. And you'd obviously started up a successful marketing agency. So there were, And I know after that, Scarlett obviously went to networking events yeah. and we got loads of advice. So that was... When we first started out, it was definitely a big thing for us to be able to talk to other people who were doing exciting things yeah. and to be able to talk to them. So, so yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Good. Right, well, thank you very much for coming on. It was great it's to catch pleasure. up with you. Thanks for the tea. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for listening. If you know a purpose-driven entrepreneur with a story worth telling who would make for a great guest on the Story Shop podcast, send us a message on social media. We're at We Are Story Shop on all channels.